Also, uh, tonight, even as I um, started the program tonight on the radio, Calvary Live, we want to pray for those in Florida as we see another mass shooting that took place um, at a school. Um, there are some that were even coming in tonight that hadn't even heard of it, uh, what had gone on. But this afternoon at a high school in Florida, there was a shooter, um, and they've reported 17 uh, that have been killed so far. And, and it just, you see this again, you think, how many times do we have to see this before you come back, Lord? And uh, there's 17, I don't know if they're all students, but 17 people that are not going to go home to their families tonight. And 17 people that um, went to school that day on a normal day, and all of a sudden tragedy hits once again. And I don't know how many are injured, uh, but... Uh, we need to pray for those families. We need to pray for Florida and Southern Florida where this happened. And uh, we need to continue to pray for our nation. You know, one of the things I'm just going to share in my heart that the Lord's really put on my heart over the last few months is the urgency to really stand for the gospel and to be praying for our nation. Because I really believe that we're living in such perilous times. And I'm not saying that because I'm negative. I, I pray for good times. I pray that it gets better. But I also know what the Bible has to say. And I was reading 2 Timothy chapter 3 on today's program that some of the last words of Paul are that it will be perilous times in the last days. And that word perilous there in verse 1 of 2 Timothy 3 is borrowed from Matthew when he's describing the demoniacs that the disciples and Jesus met when they went over to the area of the Gadarenes. And we see that description of mankind. And we do know that evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse in the last days. Paul is saying that this is what's going to happen, not that it might be perilous times, or I hope it isn't perilous times. It will be perilous times. And we're seeing the culture around us, you know, read 2 Timothy chapter 3. We've gone over that uh, here um, in our studies um, as we, we've looked at it very carefully, describing the characteristic of men who are lovers of self and lovers of money and boasters and, and blasphemers and traitors and uh, out of control. All those descriptions that we're seeing coming to pass, describing our culture and our society even today. And, and it seems like more and more that I'm starting service, I'm, I'm starting a radio program with us praying about uh, a, a tragic event that has taken place in our nation as we've seen uh, our law enforcement, so many have lost their lives over the, just the last few weeks, three in Colorado since the first of the year. We know about that, but then we turn around and, and two in Ohio last week and a couple in Detroit. And I got a good friend who's a retired uh, Detroit police officer who was on SWAT and, and I talked to him, and he's so grieved about what's going on. And these are the days in which we're living in. So what I hope is we continue to go through the scriptures, looking at Isaiah, who's describing tonight to us what's going to happen in the final culmination that's going to lead to the second coming of Jesus Christ, that really it would awaken us. And, and we are here for such a time as this. So we want to pray for our nation. And it's perilous times in our nation. And, um, you know, Christians are now being called uh, ones that have mental uh, you know, health issues uh, because we're believers in Jesus Christ. 
And, and, and I hear those things, and that is the attitude and the atmosphere in which we are living in, folks. And we need to be ones that are standing more firm for the gospel these days. And we need to be standing firm on God's word. But as Paul said in that chapter, that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will experience persecution, will suffer persecution. And we need to get that settled in our hearts that you're going to go through some sort of persecution in the day in which we're living in as you stand for Jesus Christ. And as you proclaim the gospel, and it's going to happen to you, it's going to happen to your family, and it's going to happen to this church family. So I hope that we don't go to sleep in spiritually uh, in what is going on, but again, that uh, we are here for such a time as this. And um, I'm not saying this because Pastor Jeff is being negative. I am saying this because that's what the Word of God declares. And it's perilous times that we are in. And we are seeing events happening all around this that point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. Even as we just talked about less than two months ago in our prophecy update on New Year's Eve, the events that Ezekiel describes that will take place, the stage setting things that are happening right there in Syria with this confederation of nations, Russia and Iran and Turkey that are entrenched very deeply in Syria. And we're watching it. And never before, listen, I've been teaching uh, Bible study for over 20 years. And, and as we go through the scriptures and we look at the end time scenario, and as we look at Ezekiel 38, I remember first teaching on it over 20 years ago. And this alliance wasn't there with Russia and Turkey and Iran. Um, it seemed like it was unlikely. Uh, we just assumed it would happen later on in the tribulation period but now we see the alliances are strong we see the state setting events that are taking place that that i don't know when ezekiel 38 is going to happen exactly but i do know this that the middle east is a tinderbox is about ready to go up in flames and we saw events last weekend that really show how volatile the situation really is in syria and we don't hear much about it in our news because our news makes it seem like the war is over in Syria with the, you know, uh, ISIS being um, defeated there in Syria, but something else is happening, and that is we see that Iran has entrenched itself, its troops into Syria on the very western side, next to the Golan Heights, next to Israel, and they continue to bring in troops and continue to build up militarily in Syria. And one of the things that Benjamin Netanyahu who the prime minister of Israel has done, has met with uh, Russian President Putin, who also has troops and military bases that are established in Syria. And Turkey really controls the northern 20% of Syria. So Syria, you can look at it as a nation, but really is under the control of Russia, under the control of Iran, under you know control of the Kurds on the very east side, also uh, Turkey to the north. And so it's kind of fragmented minute and then you still have pockets of rebels and what has taken place is is Iran filling in that void that ISIS has you know uh, provided with their absence there they are there for one reason to be in Syria and that is to destroy Israel and they have made that known 
And what took place on Saturday was that Iran sent a drone into towards Israel. And at first, what Israel thought was, is this an American drone as it was coming in? And they come in low, they come in fast. They got to make these decisions very, very quickly. And it is, they, they knew that this is an Iranian drone that is coming into Israel. The reason why it was coming into Israel, they still haven't really um, said, or I don't know if they even know, but it came in, and what they did is you can't send an F-16 in there because they fly low, they fly fast, and they um, took an Apache helicopter and destroyed that drone. One of the reasons that they were watching it when it first uh, took off is that they thought it might be American. You might recall, those of you who are a little bit of news buffs, that a couple years ago, a drone was shot uh, down over Iran, and Iran had pictures of it, and it was a stealth-looking drone. Well, they copied it. And so now they got drones that looked the same way, and it came in, and what happened was that Israel, in their southern base, the southern Israel sent some F-16s. F-16s, uh, there's two types of planes. One is with one pilot, and then another type is with two pilots, and they went and they destroyed the, the uh, place where the drone took off from, and the you know, tower that controls it, and, um, and, and all of that. In that, they encountered some anti-air uh, uh, defense missiles at them made from Russia that had been installed. One of the, the F-16s, the shrapnel from an explosion, it didn't hit the plane directly, but as it uh, blew up and, and as Israel was taking out these uh, defense uh, anti-aircraft uh, sites, that were around that area where Iran was, uh, you know, flying this drone and where it took off from, um, and the control tower and all of this, that um, the Israeli plane would make it back over into Israeli airspace. The pilots had to eject two of them. Um, they, one was slightly injured, one was seriously injured. He's doing better. And then the plane would fly over uh, the Sea of Galilee into the Jezreel Valley and ended up crashing. But that was the first Israeli plane ever down um, since 1982, since um, the first Lebanon war that took place at that time. So the Russians have put in their air defense systems there in missiles um, in Syria. More jets took off, and they went deep into Syria, and there was at least 12 targets that uh, they destroyed those defense systems and those missiles coming at them. And um, Syria has lost about two-thirds of their anti-defense you know, air system missiles uh, that were on the ground. So Israel did a lot of damage. And what we see is that um, those uh, of the IDF and those uh, that are watching it are saying that they are very close to war with Iran. And so Iran, if they continue to entrench themselves into Syria, then the situation becomes very, very, um, very volatile, very sensitive. Uh, one small miscalculation and the whole place can go up into a major war. You got to understand that Hezbollah has entrenched themselves also in Syria. They are that terrorist group that has been there um, since the 1970s. 
and they continue to receive weapons from Iran and from um, and also from North Korea. And we know that they have tens of thousands of missiles. In the last Lebanon war in 2006, you might recall that as they were uh, shooting missiles into the cities of Israel, uh, Hezbollah, and southern Lebanon, they were shooting about 100 missiles a day into Israel. Now they have larger missiles. Now they have more sophisticated missiles. And it is believed if another war comes that they'll be shooting 2,000 missiles into Israel at the cities and populated areas. So you can see Israel is a very tiny nation. It's only the size of New Jersey. And you can see why they're so resolved in making sure that they are safe. And they don't want Iran to entrench itself there on the border of the Golan Heights in Israel. So you have another Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a proxy of Iran anyway. But then you have more of a threat that is there. It is very, very, you know, sensitive. And the, the situation is... Um, very volatile, as I have said, so we want to watch it. But one of the things that is coming up, and again, you won't see it in our news media uh, because we're too involved in tabloid news and all of this, but one of the things that even the French news is coming out and also Jerusalem Post, matter of fact, the Times of Israel, the people are waking up right now um, in the morning and they're getting headlines that Assad is beginning to use chemical weapons once again. And that he had used them twice, they believe, last year. And that is what the French um, you know, newspapers are saying that their intelligence is saying that he's in the process of making more chemical weapons and that it could, you know, if they go against those stronghold rebels, that it could spill into Israel. And if you have that, you have a game changer. Remember what we study in Isaiah chapter 17, that Damascus will cease to be a ruinous, you know, will become a ruinous heap and cease to be a city, completely destroyed. That has never happened. So we assume that Isaiah chapter 17, verse 1, is yet future. Is it going to be tied into Ezekiel chapter 38? There are some that believe that. But what is interesting is those, you know, believers in Israel that know what's going on in the ground are saying what has taken place seems to be a dress rehearsal of Ezekiel chapter 38. We don't know for sure. One of the things, too, that may happen is uh, we may say the United States pull out of the Iran nuclear deal and they believe that this incident is going to push Trump into saying no more, we're done with it. And that even is going to make it more of a, a hot you know, situation and a difficult situation uh, if we pull out of the Iran nuclear deal. The other thing, too, is those who know, and Israel knows Russia very, very well. And Putin has been in Syria for the last four years. He feels like he's stuck in the mud there. It hasn't turned out the way that he wanted to. And some of those who analyze this, again, they feel like Putin was embarrassed at this time. You see, in the Six-Day War and in the Yom Kippur War of 1973, when Israel won... They destroyed a lot of the planes from Syria and from Egypt. 
And those are Russian-made planes. Russia would arm Egypt and Syria and Jordan and, and was allies with them. And Israel uh, overwhelmingly would uh, defeat those nations around them. So they've always felt a little bit embarrassed. And Putin wants to get, again, a, a foothold and entrenched in all of the Middle East. And when he sees Israel once again taking out his anti-air defense systems, you know, and, and missiles, that they feel like Putin's embarrassed once again. That here is little tiny <laughs> Israel with, you know, the, the, uh, a superiority militarily in the region that continues to you know, set them back in what they want to do. So we don't know what the trigger is going to be for Ezekiel 38 or Isaiah chapter 17. But I'm telling you, don't go to sleep. And I know that you may be sitting there going, we've gone over this, and we have here at Calvary Chapel, but I'll tell you this, that a lot of your Christian friends have no idea what the end time scenario is because they are not being taught it. And there are many people that you know that have no clue about what the end of days are going to be like because they don't know the Bible. They're not believers or whatever the case may be. And you do. So when things start to unravel, when people are saying, what is going on? You can say, listen, Paul talked about in some of his last words that in the last days it will be perilous times. And that men will be lovers of self. And you can read that. And I guarantee you're going to see people's eyes start to get real wide saying that describes our society today. And that evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse. And what is it that Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3? You should be able to answer this as I ask this question. What is, does he say that we continue to do? Continue in the scriptures is what he says. You must continue in the scriptures that you've learned from childhood, Timothy. That it make, make you wise for salvation. So we need to continue to study these things and be praying for our nation and be watching and not get caught up in all the things that can distract us. Remember that Jesus said this when we were going over the Olivet Discourse in Luke's gospel that he would say in chapter 21, he said, take heed to yourselves. After talking about the birth pangs and what's going to happen in the tribulation period, take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day, what day is that? The day of the Lord comes on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. And watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. I'm going to talk a little bit about that as we get into Isaiah chapter 24 but Lord I do pray for us here we have the privilege of going through the scriptures and I don't think it's any accident that we've talked about these things on New Year's Eve as we talk about these things tonight in Isaiah that we find ourselves in this portion of scripture that talks about things that that are taking place um, ahead of us perhaps very shortly and Lord, I do pray that we would be wise in the day in which we're living in. That we just are not news buffs and look at this and say there's always been tension in the Middle East. But we see these events lining up exactly as the Bible says it would. And we know that when Ezekiel 38 happens, 
This battle is going to happen very quickly. It's not even described as a war, but maybe a battle that may be a day or two with, with this massive invasion. But we see the events unfolding before us. And Lord, we are living in a generation in the days of Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. And it's absolutely incredible. So help us to wake up spiritually and to be about our Father's business and not to be weighed down with just the cares of life. We all have the cares of life. We all get weighed down with those things, but we want to be watching and we want to be serving. We want to be praying because you said there's, a, there's an escape that we can have to be counted worthy to stand before the Son of Man to escape those things that will come to pass and they will come to pass. Father, I pray for our nation. I pray for those in Florida. It has been so far in 2018 so difficult and heartbreaking. And Lord, I know my heart is broken as I hear once again all of us are of another shooting, a school shooting. We know that there's 17 at least and more that are in the hospital that didn't come home tonight. And students in the prime of their life shot down and mowed down. Our most precious resource. And it saddens us. So we pray for those families that have experienced loss. We pray for that school. Pray for the staff. We pray for the law enforcement there in Florida. We pray for all those involved in this senseless, senseless shooting. We pray for the Christian community to be able to rally around those who are hurting, the chaplains that are there, the the victim advocates, whoever, Lord, because there's a lot of deep, deep grieving that we can't even fully understand. Lord, we see our nation continue to be plagued with these kinds of things. Being plagued with, with drugs and alcohol that's epidemic, with immorality, getting further away from you to where now Christians are being called uh, by those in the media that we're the ones with mental illness. And Lord, it, I, I think, I didn't think I would live to see this day. But we are. And it's going to get worse, it seems like, as we get closer to the return of the Lord. Lord, I do pray for a great awakening underneath all the darkness that the light would shine and that we would be a voice in our community, in our workplace, here in Colorado, in this nation. And I pray that our nation would turn from our sins and we would humble ourselves and come to you because it is the only hope that we have because we are about ready to implode economically, Culturally, morally, spiritually. It is getting so weird and dark out there. And so, Lord, we as Christians, may we be in that place of standing in the gap.
the watchman on the wall, that we not get weighed down with everything that, that takes us away from you, but to prioritize continuing, even as Paul said, Timothy, you must continue in the scriptures. You must be wise for the day in which we're living in and to be able to share that with others that are confused and wondering. Lord, as we see these events in the Middle East, we know that it is foretold to us Ezekiel looking through history and Jeremiah over 2,700 years ago, these things. And Lord, it's coming to pass just as you said. And Lord, whether we live in the days where we see this battle of Ezekiel 38 or Isaiah 17, I don't know for sure, but we see the stage being set. So Lord, help us to be awake. Even as Paul said, we're... we're far nearer to such great a salvation. And we are. And what matter of men and women are we to be in this day? Not to be just taken away and, Lord, not prioritizing you. And being men and women and mothers and fathers and grandmas and grandpas and uncles and aunts To live for you and prioritize you in our homes. To be praying for our children that are here. Because it seems like there's such an assault on them. We know that what they're being taught is so against your word. What they see, what we all see the culture around us, and it moves us, and it breaks my heart. So wonder Isaiah and Jeremiah were weeping prophets. We should be weeping. So many people around us that are lost in bondage to sin and immorality and drugs and alcohol, and we need your help. We need an outpouring of your Holy Spirit on our community in this nation, with our families, with this church, because I believe you want to use us in a wonderful, glorious way in these last days because there's still a harvest. And the harvest is plentiful, is what Jesus said, but the workers are few. So we commit all this to you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for allowing me to just kind of share that with you. Um, we do have chapter 24. We finished that section of Isaiah in chapters 13 through 23 that were the proclamations against those nations around uh, Israel and around Judah and Jerusalem. And then it also included a proclamation against Jerusalem as well. But now as we go into chapter 24, the next three chapters are going to deal with this time period of time called the tribulation period. And most of you are familiar with that term, but I don't know if you know this, that the tribulation period is the most documented period of time in the Bible. Do you realize that? The Bible talks about this time more than any other period 
um, that we have described to us in God's word. There's a lot that is written about that final seven-year period that is right prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we read in chapter 24, Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste, distorts its surface, and scatters abroad its inhabitants. So what we see here, speaking of that tribulation period, um, we know that it's described to us in detail as you go to Revelation chapters 6 through 18. Now, as we read this, the tribulation period, we know that it's going to be that time that God is going to be pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. And it is in that time there's a lot of things that are taking place in the tribulation period, but we know it is seven years. We know that from Daniel chapter 9, uh, verse 27. I think that the last four verses of Daniel chapter 9 are absolutely critical for us to understand what is being told to us because it really gives the timetable of what we're looking at here in uh, the tribulation period. And in that prophecy concerning your people, Daniel, and your holy city, we know that 70 weeks or 70 years or 70 periods of seven years are going to determine the history of Israel. And 69 of those periods or weeks have already passed. So there's one more week left that God is going to focus once again on the nation of Israel. And I think that's why Isaiah is writing about this time, because it's going to affect them directly. That seven-year period, that final week, and it's divided up into the first half of the tribulation. And then the second half, what you will see in the scripture is called the Great Tribulation Period, or Jacob's trouble. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 that when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel the prophet, he is confirming what Daniel had said in verse 27 of Daniel chapter 9, that in that final week, it begins the tribulation period with the Antichrist coming on the scene. He's going to make a peace treaty with Israel. He's going to make a covenant with them. It's going to seem like it's going to allow them to rebuild their temple. There will be a temple in Jerusalem that will be standing during the tribulation period. They're all ready for that um, to take place. They just need to build a building, really. And then also we note that in the middle of the week that there will be an end to sacrifice and offering, Daniel tells us in verse 27 of chapter 9, and that uh, there will be the abomination of desolation, which is told to us more specifically in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that when the Antichrist goes into that rebuild, built temple and he will proclaim himself as God to be worship of uh, be worship uh, as God in the temple of God is what he says so the antichrist in the middle of that week after three and a half years after it begins will go into the temple in Jerusalem set up an image of himself declared to be God and he will tell the world to worship him. Now the Antichrist is directly influenced by Satan himself so we know that Satan as we saw in chapter 14 that what is something that Satan's always wanted. He said I will sit on the throne of God I will be worshipped as God so he wants to be worshipped we know that at that time there will be 
a great persecution against the Jews at that time. They will say, we are not going to accept you as our Messiah. We reject you. We're not going to worship your image. And we know that they will flee, as we saw in this section of Isaiah, to the rock city of Petra. So there's a lot that's going on at that time. And Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation, then flee, because there's going to be great tribulations such as the world has not seen or ever will see again. So this is something that's going to affect the whole world, and, and everyone's going to be affected by it. When it talks about that the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste, verse 1, it's speaking of great devastation, destruction, and death. And it does affect everyone. Let's read verse 2. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priests. As with the servant, so with his master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. borrower. With the creditor, so with the debtor. The land shall be entirely empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. So we see that this tribulation period is going to be a time, again, of great trouble, that we know that it begins with the opening of the seal there in chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, the Antichrist coming on the scene. And that begins the tribulation period that's going to lead to all kinds of, of destruction and, and again that leads to the seals being opened up to the trumpet judgments that leads to the bold judgments as you read in the book of Revelation. But let's continue reading in verse 4. The earth mourns and fades away. The world languishes, languishes and fades away. The haughty people of the earth languish. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore the curse has devoured the earth and the those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men are left. So what we see here is that Isaiah telling us that in this judgment of God against a Christ-rejected world, notice that sin of man has defiled the earth. And in verse 5 here, three things, that man has transgressed the law, that means that they have uh, deliberately and with um, pride, with haughtiness, they have stepped over the line concerning God's way. In other words, they have transgressed the law. Transgress means that you step over, that you deliberately do it. It doesn't matter what God's word says, that how we are to live, but we are going to transgress the law. They have changed the ordinance, speaking of God's word and God's truth given to us, and broken the covenant. Man comes up with his own ideas of having relationship with God and salvation. So this is a problem, and we see it even today, that is very much a part of our world, that we see man transgressing more and more, as we saw that Isaiah said, that the time is that you're going to call evil good. And it was happening in Isaiah's day and is happening in our day as well. And we see that not only in our culture, but sadly enough, what we see that it's happening more even in the church. That I use that term generally to describe the church, 
but very, very, uh, you know, uh, general in that there are those who say that they're Christians that are a part of the church, but they don't even believe in God's word. They have transgressed the ways of the Lord. They have said there's many ways to heaven that we're open to, to receiving anyone in any kind of lifestyle, in any kind of way of living. And we see that, that that is beginning to infiltrate the church more and more. And also in, you know, mainline denominations, I was reading how the Episcopal Church, how they just had a vote in Washington, D.C. in their General Assembly that they are planning in their services and in the Bibles that they read to be, you know, gender, gender neutral, that they won't pray our father and I'm, I'm reading this and I'm thinking wow and you have the progressive churches and if you read their statement of faith that you will see that they don't believe that the Bible is literal that our understanding of the Bible is progressing and is open to interpretation that's what we're seeing come in changing the ordinance Transgressing the law of God. Breaking the covenant. And we have this taking place. And it also speaks about, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that in the last days, that there's going to be a falling away. Paul would speak about it again to Timothy, that there's going to be those who are going to be falling away from the faith, giving themselves over to doctrines of demons and having itchy ears and heaping up teachers to themselves and given over to fables and myths. We're seeing all of this taking place in the day in which we are living in. And, and it's, it's true what the Bible is saying. And then in, in verse 7, the new wine uh, fails, the divine uh, languages, all the merry hearted sigh, the mirth and the tambourine ceases, the noise of the jubilant ends, the joy of the harp ceases. They shall not drink wine with a song. Strong drink, drink is bitter to those who drink it. Verse 10, the city of confusion is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none may go in. There is a cry for wine in the streets. All joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. In the city, desolation is left. And the gate is stricken with destruction. And when it shall be thus in the midst of the land among the people, I, it shall be like the shaking of an olive tree, like the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. What we see here is there's going to be great tribulation that will take place. Notice there at the end of verse 13, uh, it shall be like the shaking of an olive tree. Does that sound familiar? Very, very similar uh, wording that was used in Isaiah chapter 17 when uh, it's speaking about Assyria comes in and the uppermost boughs of the olive tree or the fig tree is shaken. There's only a couple there. So it's talking about this is going to be the shaking of the olive tree. There should be olives up there, but there isn't. The gleaning of, of grapes when the vintage is done, there is none. It's going to be desolate, speaking about the destruction of what will take place in the tribulation. And then in verse 14, they shall lift up their voice, they shall sing. For the majesty of the Lord, they shall cry aloud from the sea. Therefore glorify the Lord in the 
the dawning light, the name of the Lord God of Israel in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we have heard songs, glory to the righteous. But I said, I am ruined, ruined, woe to me. The treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Indeed, the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. So as we read those, we see that there is God still working in the tribulation period. We, you know, somebody asked me this week that question. If the rapture of the church, if you believe, is going to take place before the tribulation period, which I do believe that that's what the Bible teaches us, that we know that the promise was made to the church of Philadelphia that I will take you out of, away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Matter of fact, we're going to see in chapter 26 when we get there, perhaps next week, that I think that there's a promise of the rapture of the church that is given there to us. And it's going to be before the indignation is poured out on the inhabitants of the whole earth. So what I see in scripture is we're going to be taken out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those, remember that term, who dwell on the earth. Jesus uses that term as well. And that term, those who dwell on the earth, is speaking of non-believers. And in Luke chapter 21 in the Olivet Discourse, as I read to you um, already, that Jesus said, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So there's a way of escape all these things that shall come to pass. What things? All the things that Jesus talked about that are the signs and what's going to take place in the tribulation period and the coming of the Son of Man uh, that will take place, that the birth pangs, the, the perplexity of the nations, the sea and the waves roaring, men's heart failing them. He's talking about all these things right before the second coming. But we can escape those things that will take place here in chapter 24 and chapter 6 through 18 as we come to him, how is it that we're worthy? You are worthy, O Lord, to take the scroll and to open. You see, what I love about the book of Revelation is you have in chapters 2 and 3 the church being written to. Chapters 4 and 5, you have the heavenly scene. And in that heavenly scene, you have that new song that is being sung. There's all those that are standing around uh, and you see that they sing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll to open his seals for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood. That's speaking of Jesus. Out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation, and you've made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. I love that song. There's only one group of people that this fits. It's not the song of angels. It's not the angels, the seraphim, the cherubim, the, you know, that have been redeemed by his blood. It isn't the song of Israel. It's the song of the church out of every tribe, tongues, people, and nation. This is us standing here in this heavenly scene. And then chapter 6 through 18, the scene goes back to what's taking place on the earth. So I would encourage you, get to know the words of this song, all right? Because we could be singing it very soon, and you don't want to feel like a country bumpkin to, you know, to trip to the city, you know, that 
we can jump right in, right? Because we've studied this. But you are worthy, O Lord, and we are worthy as we come to him. And Jesus says, there's a, there's a uh, uh, pray always and watch that you may be able to escape these things. And that is you and I as the church are going to be taken out of and away from that hour of tribulation. And that's good news. And as we're going to see next week, there's going to be chapter 25 and 26, praising God, the song of salvation. And we can sing that song. Listen, we don't have to be afraid. In one sense, my heart really breaks when I see all these things that are taking place around me, but I also get excited. I get excited because, wow, could we be the generation that sees the return of the Lord? I hope so. And Jesus said, when you begin to see these things come to pass, look up and rejoice, for your redemption draws near. And we know that as we look at this, there are going to be those who are going to be saved in the tribulation period. We're going to pick it up here next time in verse 14, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about um, what's going to happen to them as well. How it is that they're going to be saved in the tribulation period is very fascinating. We'll finish the chapter and then go into chapter 25, which also speaks of the tribulation period. But listen, folks, let's keep watching Let's keep being used. Let's be about the king's business. And here's the thing that is very sobering. Our, if we are as close to the return of the Lord as I think that we are, again, we don't know the day or the hour. We're children of the light, not of the day. We have not been appointed to wrath, but to attain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That brings me comfort. But I also know this, that if we are very close to the rapture of the church that can take place at any time, we don't know. As we see the stage being set for Isaiah 17, Ezekiel 38 perhaps, as we look at these things, I know that there are people that are around me that I talk to and I care about, and there are people that you know that you talk to and that you care about that I think, could they be left? And once the rapture of the church happens after that, there's going to be that tribulation period that will begin, and it will be an awful, awful time. And sometimes I'll, I'll look at people. You know, my heart gets so stirred. Sometimes I'll, I'll sit there and look at people in the store or, you know, whatever, and I think, wow, Lord, do they know Jesus? What's going to happen? I, I think about that, and, and I think about who is going to be left if we're that close to the return of the Lord. And I don't want to just get very complacent and where I'm not praying and I'm not looking for those opportunities to share with people, but to pray for your family members and those that you know that, Lord, may their eyes be open and, Lord, may there be a mighty final harvest before you come back. Because this is going to be a terrible, terrible time. And it's going to be that time that's going to culminate to the return of the Lord. We're going to come back with him in the second coming of Jesus Christ. I can't wait till he comes back and sets everything straight. And our children are safe. And things are right. Because righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. But be praying 
for those who are linked to you in your life and be sharing and be a light, folks. Listen, I'm going to leave you with this. And me too. When people see us, do they see the love and light of Jesus Christ? Do they see the love and light of Jesus Christ? So, Father, we pray that they do. And even though we didn't get through a whole chapter here and there's so much to talk about and it can get overwhelming, Lord, that we know that these things are written for our benefit. And, Father, that we may know things are coming down. So, Father, may we be watching and praying. It isn't that we can be worthy of ourselves, but, Lord, we are worthy as we come in faith to Jesus Christ. And so may we be ones that we want to, to just look to those that we love and care about and are linked to us in our lives. We pray for them. We pray that we would be a light and share the love of Jesus with them. That you would open doors for us to have these discussions with them. That we would be wise for salvation in the day that we're in, knowing the Holy Scriptures, to be able to patiently and very lovingly and honestly answer their questions. To, to relay to them that Jesus is our salvation. He is unique because he rose from the grave. And he conquered sin and death and died for our sins. So I pray if there's anyone that is here tonight, maybe you're listening on live stream or listening on the radio later, that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. He is your hope and salvation. He is your forgiveness. He died on the cross for you. And we all need to be forgiven. To turn to him and surrender your life to him. He's calling you to himself. To believe in him. And to know that he's the son of God who died for you on the cross and he rose from the grave. And he loves you. And he wants you to be a part of the family of God. To be a son and daughter of the living God. To be a part of a kingdom that's going to last forever. But you need to turn to Jesus and realize your need to be forgiven. And come to him in faith and call out to him. If that means anything to anyone tonight, you can do that right now. Today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart to the Lord. You pray, Jesus, I come to you. I need forgiveness. And you are the one who died for my sins. I believe that, so forgive me. And I believe that you're alive. You rose from the grave. And you're speaking to my heart. And I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. To have a personal relationship with you, Jesus be my personal Lord and Savior and I'm understanding it's not about being religious it's about knowing you and surrendering my life to you to walk with you and I thank you for dying for me and I thank you for this new beginning thank you Jesus Lord I pray that tonight we go home encouraged not discouraged but Lord, that also that these are very sobering times that we're in, that we would be about the king's business. Father, I pray that salvation would come to this place, to our families, to our workplaces, to this community. That even as 
we know Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, that we would be a worker. Lord, I pray that you would use this church to be a light in the last days, standing firm on your word, not compromising, but giving truth in love, being lighting, having a heart for the lost. Because we are in perilous times and we're rushing towards eternity. We're rushing towards that time you are going to take your church. And people may laugh at us and scoff, but your word is very clear. And we believe it. So Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for bringing us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand?